It is good to be here tonight to study another portion of God's Word, to decide in our hearts as we study and to understand deep within our hearts what it is that God is trying to say to us. What does He want us to know about Him? And tonight we're talking about falling in love with Jesus, right? Let's go to God in prayer, please. Magnificent and mighty God, we praise you, we love you, and thank you. Lord God, you are awesome, you are magnificent, and you are kind. We thank you so very much for this evening to be able to study your word. We pray you'll guide us into all truth, and that you'll lead us and direct us, help us to fall in love with Jesus. We love you, Father. We thank you. We love Jesus. Help us to fall deeper in love with you every single day. And thank you for your wonderful Holy Spirit. We love you, O God, and praise you. In Jesus' holy name, we pray. And thank thee, it would be thy will. Amen. Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to begin tonight. I want to look at his, his death for just a moment. And, and we won't go to too many verses on his death. But I want to talk about Jesus staying the course. Right? I mean, so what I'm trying to help us to remember, to remind us of, to encourage us, is to know that Jesus really loves us. For God so loved the world that he, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus gave himself as well, right? It was a decision of the Godhead. And it's one thing to make a decision and it's another thing to go through with it. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, uh, how many times you've seen people that we make decisions and we go, yeah, this is a good idea. And then when you get close to the situation, you're like, mm, maybe this isn't such a great idea. But that wasn't the case with Jesus. He went through with the uh, prophecies, the fulfillment of righteousness, and living for the Father to save our souls. In verse 46 of Luke 24, And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Notice it doesn't say die. It says suffer. Brethren, I'm about to go and suffer. Right? This is, this is going to be excruciatingly painful. This is going to be horrible. And you see... The, the depth of what he's saying when you go with him to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's got these blood drops falling from his head. He has this, this, you know, amazing amount of, of whatever he was going through at that moment and yet he still, he went through with it to save our souls. That's how much he loved us. That's how much he loved the Godhead, and doing the will of the Father, he went all the way through with it to the end. John 12. He was strong, and he was committed to the Father's business. In verse 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, 
Let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And there came therefore a voice out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. He says if you if you choose to save your life, you'll lose it. His focus was on losing his life to gain it. The opposite, right? Doing the Father's will took a lot of love. Loving us took a lot of love. So much so to where Jesus says, when I fall to the ground, when the grain falls to the ground and dies, it brings much fruit. And he wasn't just thinking about the people Uh, who were in his midst, but the whole world, from Adam to the last man that lives on the face of the earth. And I'm thankful that he was thinking about me. And you should be thankful that he was thinking about you when he died on that cross. That's how much he loved you individually, you independently, and the world collectively. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look at verse 21. When Peter, unaware, with a lack of understanding, tried to prevent the Lord from going ahead with this death on the cross, Jesus has to be real frank with him. And he says, verse 21, From that time Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said, To Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. He used the word suffer again. That the Son of Man is going to suffer and then be killed. So he's talking now not just being uh, executed on the cross, but all the suffering that would lead up to the cross from that day and a half, if you will, The night when they grabbed him and they began to torture him and they surrounded him and they flogged him, they scourged him. He says, I'm going to suffer and then I'm going to die. But he was willing to suffer. This is a premeditated death, if you will, right? I mean, he knew, he contemplated every aspect of what was going to happen to him and he still went to the cross. He went through with it for us. In Acts chapter 2, the prophecy about Jesus, the predetermined plan of God. What does God want? 
That was important to Jesus. What does the Father want? In Acts 2 and verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and full knowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Verse 24. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will abide in hope, because thou wilt not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow the Holy One to undergo decay. Thou hast made known to me the way of life. Thou wilt make full of gladness with thy presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you, regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried in his tomb, is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants upon his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. So, the blessing of God, the blessing of God is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He went through with the whole plan. Salvation truly has been brought down. Right? Think about that. We sing that song. Salvation has been brought down. Jesus came down to the earth and he came here because Jesus is a God of mercy. Matthew chapter 9. He was not shown mercy. But he showed mercy. What if Jesus decided to act like us when he came to the earth? What if he came down and said, okay, all right, you, you guys want to play games? Well, and then he just, he retaliated or, and it was, he will be in his rights, right, to do those things. But but he didn't do that. He he didn't come and judge man and decide right at that moment that this man would be put to death. Instead, he showed mercy. And then he said in Matthew 9 and verse 13, But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Jesus is very compassionate. Right? He's full of compassion. And that's what he desired of us. He desires us to be compassionate people. When it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. When it says that, it's speaking of the Godhead. The Godhead loved us so much that Jesus Christ came to the earth and died. That we should not perish. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He went through with it so that we could make the choice to serve him. In other words, God did not take that opportunity away from us. He gave us the choice. But in order for us to have the choice to choose to love Him back, to choose to serve God, to choose to love God, He would have to die on that cross for us to be saved. 
That's the only reason. I hear it say oftentimes Jesus had to die. He didn't have to die. He chose to die. The only reason that Jesus, uh, when we think about having to die, is if he didn't, we wouldn't have a choice. So thank God for the love that Jesus displayed, his amazing love that has been brought down to humanity. John 21. We only get a, a glimpse. We, we only get a small picture into the life of Jesus Christ, his death and his suffering. God revealed to us what was necessary. There's so much more that Jesus did. So when we read the Bible, we're, we, we, we uh, become full of all the, the amazing blessings of knowing what he did, but we, we're only getting a little taste of what he did. In fact, John 21, and the verse is 25. The Bible says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which they were written in detail. I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which weren't written. Think about that for a minute. We're, we're looking at the love of Jesus, the perfect abundant love of Christ, the abundant love of God. And then the, the author, John, by way of inspiration, says, oh, and by the way, this isn't all that he did. If we tried to write everything that he did, I suppose that not even the world itself would be able to contain the books that are written about Jesus. That is amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. So now we got to sit back. We're not going to speculate. But now we sit back and say, well, how much does Jesus love us? More than we could ever imagine. Jesus Christ went through more than is exposed in the Word of God. Jesus Christ suffered more than what is exposed in the Word of God. Jesus did more for humanity than is exposed in the Word of God. That's one way you can know the Bible's from God. Because, you know, if we do something, we write it down in detail. Right, And then I did this, <laughs> but not God. Because God wasn't interested in being praised. He was interested in saving the souls of humanity. John chapter 14, in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The God of peace. He gives peace to people who are unpeaceful. He didn't say, I take my peace. I'm going to take my peace and take the light because you guys are horrible. He didn't do that. He said, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you a peace that you can't even understand. I'm going to give you a peace that's so wonderful and so great that even in the midst of a chaotic world, you'll find happiness and joy, and satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ, in God himself. Tonight, a question to ask, how many hours or days can you go without thinking about Jesus? How many days or hours can you go? How strong is your desire to spend time with Jesus? How do we do that? We do that through reading his word, through uh, teaching others, uh, through prayer. How intense is your hunger and thirst for the word of God? 
just want more and more, want more of it. It's kind of interesting. It's, um, we were talking about this a little bit today. You ever notice that when you, when you start drinking, you know, we have drink, we have Kool-Aid and soda and all the other things. You start drinking water, you begin to crave it more. <laughs> you can't get enough, right? You start, you know, you start drinking, you go, oh, it's just tasteless and it's, but once you start drinking it, you can't get enough. The Word of God is the same way. How much do you hunger and thirst for the Word of God? You just start reading it, you just can't get enough. Or, is reading the Bible a chore to you? Like, oh, I gotta read my Bible. Or is it, oh, I gotta read my Bible, I can't wait. What's, what impact has God have, uh, had on you and in your life? Is spending time in prayer to God a burden? Or is it a delight? You ever been in, in such a such a rush? You, you know, you get going, you get going, and you go, "Oh, I forgot to pray," and, you, and it, it bothers you. Or is it just can you go all day and just have forgotten to pray and not even thought of it? It's got to be part of our routine. Jesus Christ was such a humble servant it, it, that blows my mind. I, I, I when I think about the. Uh, the humility of Jesus. I'm amazed. Uh, Matthew chapter 11. Because this humility is, is viewed by humanity backwards. You know, we, we see it, we see it incorrectly. Two of the greatest men in the entire Bible who gave laws to affect humanity, Moses and Jesus, were the greatest men when it comes to humility in the Bible. There were no one else. There was no one else like them, like Jesus, nor Moses when it comes to humility. That kind of surprises me when you think about it, because you think about humility, uh, another word for humility from a human standpoint is weakness. If you're humble, you're weak. If you're meek and you just, you're, then you're weak. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. Matthew 11, Jesus says, verse 28, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Jesus, humble. Turn to Numbers chapter 12. Moses, the Bible says about Moses, beginning at verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he married. For he married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Moses. And yet Moses, those ten plagues came through Moses. Moses part of that Red Sea. Moses came down that mountain and many souls, if you will, many Israelites were destroyed from, from parting and playing instead of following God. But Moses was a very extremely humble man. But can you imagine the Christ, the Creator, being humble? Why? Why does God have to be humble? 
That's what's so amazing about it. He didn't have to be. That's who he is. God is humble. And Jesus came to the earth not to be served, but to serve. And he served as a slave, as a servant man. He was willing to do whatever was necessary for you. That's what you got to get in mind. Understand, he did it for you. He did it for me. Everything he did, all the kindness that he exemplified, all the love that he showed, everything he demonstrated was for my soul's salvation. If everyone else in the world rejects Jesus, and I don't, I still get that blessing. If everyone in the world serves Jesus and honors Jesus and I refuse, you still get the blessing. In other words, it's for you individually, independently, everything that God did. Jesus, the creator of the world. So look at 1 Kings for just a moment. 1 Kings chapter um, 8. And let's look at verse 27. Just want to look at this verse, just, just thinking about this. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Uh, no. Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain thee, how much less the house which I have built. Yet he came down and he dwelt among men. And, and the, the Christ who, who, I don't even know what to say, could have exploded. I mean, what? nothing could contain him. And yet he was so humble so meek and so gentle and he served he do you realize that if we were living in those days he would have served us he would have been that that what he is that perfect neighbor that perfect individual and when you and i had a need and we came across jesus we could say oh lord jesus son of the living god the most high please have mercy on me and he would have asked what do you want me to do for you me? Jesus, the humble servant. It's amazing. John 5. John chapter 5 and verse 18. Though he was divine, though he is divine, though he was divine, he was still humble. And in John 5 and verse 18, the Bible says, for this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And that's what he was and who he was, equal with the Father. So now, the God who created the universe... <laughs> spoke it into existence. It's held together by the word of his power, made humanity, made our mind, made everything. They were going to kill him. How would you have responded if you were living in those days and you watched the, uh, the, the wickedness and uh, the way people treated Jesus Christ? A good man. A, not, not just good, a perfect Man, how would you have responded? How would you have felt watching the injustice? And I'm not talking about the cross. We'll get, you know, you, you, yeah, we walk all the way through to the cross. But, but just watching him come to your town and walk around and smile and, and, and show kindness and, and heal your relatives, 
Heal yourself. Heal your friends. He's there for you. He's doing the right things. And then the Pharisees come along and they're trying to trap him and trick him and destroy him and, 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 and slander his name. Right in front of you. How would you have felt? I mean, how would that have, what would that have done to you? Would you have just said, well, you know, the Pharisees, they know what's best, so. Or would you have said, what's wrong with these people? Would you have felt ashamed? Would you have felt almost destroyed inside from within? Realizing that the religious people of our world treated God the way they did. How would you have felt? Jesus, the humble servant of God. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. He came to the earth, not just to show us an example, but he came to the earth to live the law, according to the law, to live the law in service to the Godhead, in service to the Father and the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2.5. His attitude was perfect. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, who came with a perfect attitude, who came as a bond servant, who came knowing who he was and knowing that he would be in the presence, in the midst of humanity, was able to humble himself, become a humble servant, seek to please God, and while doing that, pleasing all of humanity, even those who used him. How would that have made you feel? Knowing about the Christ, following the Christ, seeing the things that he did. And, and yet, yet you felt powerless because you had no authority over the Pharisees and the scribes and the Romans and in that day. What, what would you have done? You ever wondered that? You ever wondered what would you, I've wondered that and I sat back, you know, what would I have done? You know, would I have been in the crowd saying, crucify, crucify, would I have been, what would I have done? And then as you read the Bible, you realize the Bible teaches us that what you would have done is exactly what you're doing right now. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's what I would have done. What would you have done? Something to think about. John chapter 5, please. Jesus had every opportunity and right to demand praise to demand all the accolades, you know, people praise his name and say, you know, oh, you did this and you did. But that's not what Jesus was after. 
when he performed a miracle in the teachings that he performed. You know what Jesus never did? He didn't sit there and say, look at how great I am. Instead he says, I came to do the will of my Father. I came to speak to you about the Father. He always gave credit to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. Always. John 5 and verse 19. Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. I've got to give credit to the Father. Everything I'm doing is what I saw the Father do. Everything that I'm doing is is not mine, but it's all the Father's. He always gave credit to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. In John 7, in verse 14, this speaks to his humility. The Bible says, But when it was now in the mid now excuse me, but when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews Therefore, we're marveling, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? Jesus therefore answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Oh, yeah, I'm smart. What do you mean I'm not smart? What do you mean I'm not? I'm smart. Right? We get, we get offended. You start saying we're not smart. We're not intelligent. We're not educated. You're not educated. Yes, I am. Not Jesus. He says, oh, no. Everything I'm giving to you, it's not mine. It belongs to the one who sent me. John 12. The humility. I mean, you know, he doesn't become offended at what they're saying. He's not prideful. He's not struggling with pride. He doesn't have to prove a point. Um, He's not in competition with other people. He's just humble. The humble Christ. Verse 48 of John 12. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. And I want you to think about, just for a moment, when you've been in a Bible study and someone rejects the word, how'd you feel? You're like, oh, what do you, what do you mean you can't see it? What, what do you mean you, you disagree? You know, do we get, you know, flustered, become flustered, uh, maybe angry at times, irritated? Not Jesus. He just says, you know, if you reject me, you reject the Father. How did he hold it together? He was humble. That's how. He was humble. Matthew, please, chapter 21. And he always gave credit to the Godhead. Beginning, if you will, at verse 11. (laughs) Being around these scribes and Pharisees would have driven me crazy, right? It would drive any Christian crazy today. Verse 11 says, But the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And he's talking to the Pharisees, and he's trying to get them to humble themselves and get down off the seat of Moses. But that's just, that's just not what we're interested in. We're interested in power, right? We want the power, man. 
We want to be in charge of everybody. We want the power. And that's to our own destruction. Humility. Let God be in control. Allow God to have all of the power. So the crowds, uh, John chapter 6, the crowds wanted, because of the greatness of Jesus, they said, you know, Jesus does not deserve to be um, someone that's kept in, in the secret places. No, Jesus, because of how great he is, he needs to be our king, our leader. But Jesus wasn't interested in that, in his humility. He wanted everyone to surrender to the Father. Verse 12, John chapter 6. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. And when therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is of a truth, the prophet who is to come into the world. Verse 15. The Jews, therefore, perceiving that they were intending to come to take him by force, to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Jesus. Did I say the Jews? I think I did. Jesus withdrew. Jesus would not allow them to make him, force him to be anything he wasn't supposed to be. Think about that for just a moment. You know, people say, hey, you're the, you're the best, you're the this, you're the that, and then they go, you, we want you to be, how many of us refuse? You know, how many of us refuse that, that kind of thought, that idea? Jesus did. John 18. Jesus did not allow anything to stand in the way of his ultimate goal. And his ultimate goal was dying on the cross for you and I. That was the goal, so that we might be saved. He did not allow anything to stand in his way, nor anyone from accomplishing the great will of the Father. So John 18, in verse 36, the Bible says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. He, he kept the right mental perspective. Right? While he could have had everything, he did have everything, right? That he wanted. In other words, he didn't want sin and wickedness and evil. But he had it all. But he was able to keep the focus and be humble and serve and serve and serve and serve. You know what you don't read about in the Bible? A lot of. How many times in the Bible do we read accounts about people serving Jesus? Jesus, you, you, you had a, a rough day. Come on. Sit down, rest your feet. Let me, let me wash your feet. Let me, let me take care of you. Let me do this for you. Let me help you. Let me serve you. We don't, it's not even in there. It's not even in the Bible. But rather, 
Jesus tirelessly served humanity and served the Father, accomplishing the Father's will tirelessly, day in and day out. And you know what people did? All people did is they kept knocking on his door. Jesus, Jesus, we need this. Jesus, can you do this? Jesus, help me out with this. Jesus, give me this. Jesus, give me that. That's all it was. And yet he was always willing to serve. Mark chapter 4. Mark 10, rather, excuse me. Mark chapter 10. He wanted to seek and save the lost. Verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He understood his purpose. But don't you sometimes get tired of serving all the time? <laughs> don't you sometimes get tired and you go, you know, I've been doing everything. Can someone else give me a... Not Jesus. Jesus just kept going and going and going. Are you falling in love with him yet? What, what an amazing display of a human life service. But if we were to take a poll... And ask how many people would like to be, and you go through the list, and the very bottom is servant, and then you have a, you know, from one to ten, and number, number one is servant, and then you can fall somewhere in the middle or at the top. How many people would choose number one? Oh, I'll just be the lowly servant that people step on and abuse all the time. How many of us would choose that? Jesus did. God did. The Godhead chose that the Lord would be a servant to humanity. A little lower than the angels, just like us. Luke chapter 19. He chose to be a servant and a savior. So Jesus is the servant savior for humanity. Luke 19 and verse 10. He said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Notice that passage. He came to seek out. To seek out and to save the lost. God is looking for us. Isn't that beautiful? To this day, God is looking for us. Who wants to be Why do you think the earth is still going on? There's somebody out there who wants to be saved. There's someone out there who has not yet surrendered to the gospel. So God is allowing the world to go on so that that person or those peoples, whomever they may be, wherever they may be, can be saved. Because it's coming a day when all this will end, right? But for right now, there's still an opportunity for people to be saved. Let's look at the crucifixion now. We may not have time. We'll come back to this one next week. But I want to go ahead and start into it tonight. Matthew 26. Here's something we have to keep in mind. As you think about the crucifixion, through all of our studies, you've got to keep this at the forefront of your mind. And that's this verse here, Matthew 26, beginning at verse 51. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached out and drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. That must be kept, that must remain in front of us at all times as we read 
the scriptures. We think about you think about the scriptures that we read, right? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled, uh, which say this must happen in this way? The one thing that we have to keep in mind is that Jesus did not have to die. At any moment, he could have pulled the plug. At any moment. He didn't, but at any moment, he could have pulled the plug. The night, the trial, that was an illegal trial, right? Everything, they broke so many laws during that trial that evening. That night. But when they, when they surrounded him with an angry mob in, in, in the presence of the priest, and they, and they hit him, they struck him, they mocked him, they did all manner of evil to him in that, it wasn't in a courtroom, right? It was, it was in a, in a, in a, in a, in a home, if you will. And they, and they, they just abused him. And yet, he held it together. And at any moment he could have said, you know what, you, you 35 or 50 or 100 people, whatever you are, you're not even worth it. And then, and just pull the plug. But he didn't do that. He didn't stop. When, when Peter was out in the courtyard, and all the people that were out there, not, not Peter, Peter was interested in the Lord and, and he, he wanted to do his best, but all the people in the courtyard, all the people who were around Peter, none of them believed in Jesus. And as, as the woman, the servant girl, speaks to Peter, as the people accuse Peter, there, there was an angry mom. They were, they were in a, in a, in a very bad state of mind. And yet, and yet Jesus didn't pull the blood. And, and when, when, when they beat him and he was battered and bruised, the Bible says he looked at Peter and after Peter denied him and Peter went off and wept bitterly. Because he denied the Lord. Peter was terrified. And Jesus could have pulled the plug right there. He said, I'm done. I'm done. Not because I'm afraid. Not because I don't want to do the Father's will. But because you people are worthy. But that's not what he did. Jesus was able to see or to look beyond the fault of humanity and take care of our needs. That's what Jesus did. He looked beyond our faults. He looked beyond the wickedness of the people of that day. He looked beyond the wickedness of the people of today. He looked beyond it all, all of our faults, and he saw our needs. He didn't just see our needs. He administered to our needs. Falling in love with Jesus is like nothing else. To fall in love with Jesus who else could you fall in love with as great as Jesus Christ? We're going to come back and look at the cross and think about the humility of Jesus and, and his still his servitude, if you will. The humility of Jesus Christ, even on the cross, keeping in mind that at any moment he could have pulled the plug, but he did not. I thank you for your time tonight. The lesson is yours. I pray something was said to encourage you or strengthen you in some way. In a moment, Brother uh, Harris will come up. Or no, actually, Brother Pat is going to. Pat's actually going to teach the lesson. And I'm going to sign. No, just kidding. <laughs> so <laughs> um, we talked about that. It didn't, it didn't work. Uh, in a moment, Brother Pat's going to bring our Devo tonight. And we're thankful for that. And Brother Harris will bring our, our closing remarks. Thank you for your time this evening. If you have a need in any way, please contact us in some way. Thank you.